Hey guys, thanks for swinging by our podcast today. We hope this message leaves you encouraged and filled with hope and that Christ and His goodness is meeting your every need. I wouldn't pray about ministry. I wouldn't pray about... I just know that you get to the end and the end has a way of really focusing in what's really the most important. Would you guys agree with that? And Jesus shows us what was most important to him the night before he was arrested. And I want to turn to John 17. And this is the prayer Jesus was praying in the garden right before they came and arrested him. So may talk about the human suffering like... Matthew, Mark, and Luke do. You know, they talk about how he was in agony and bitterness of soul, and he was sweating drops like blood, and they they go into all the human things, but John picks out what was actually going on in the spiritual realm. Aren't you glad for different perspectives? Aren't you glad? Now, let's look at everybody, look at me. Before you look at the scripture, aren't you guys thankful for people that are on the journey of faith that have been on it longer than you? So that we all need each other there's a kaleidoscope of experience. I've said this before, I'm going to say it again. Every one of us' testimony is a rhema word from God. Somebody's lost a loved one. Somebody's recovered from a disease. Somebody's come back from a big downfall. Somebody's been yanked out of just pure hell. And somebody's been put into leadership. And, somebody, and everybody's testimony is what God did in you to encourage the rest of the body of believers. That's why we need each other. That's why we're supposed to spur each other on all the more as we see the day approaching. Come on, you guys. So John has this perspective because he was an old, older man when he wrote it. And he had a lot of time to discern what was going on in the spirit realm. And so I'm going to read this prayer. And then we'll just follow the spirit. Is that good? You guys happy? I read from the NASB. Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. I, I'm going to stop and make a point there. He, he asked for the glory back, because in Philippians 2, he had given up the glory to show us what it's like for a man to follow God 100% obediently. Come on. And depend on the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And now at the end, he starts off with, I can't do this now without you giving me the glory back. That must have been important to Jesus. Come on. None of us can do the hardest things without the glory of God in our lives. Come on. And he's getting ready to pay an ultimate sacrifice and actually take on the nature of sin. And he cannot do that just as a person depending on God, he needs all the glory of God to be able to do what he's getting ready to do. Are you guys with me? Verse 2, even as you have gave him authority over all flesh, that to whom all you have given him, he may give eternal life. Now listen to this. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the works which you have given me to do. Now, I want to stop there and make a, make a statement on these first four verses. I want you to realize that Jesus says here, I have 
I have accomplished the work which you have given me to do. He says that before he's arrested, before he's beaten, before he dies, before he goes to hell, before he's raised from the dead, before he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He says right here, before any of that happens, I've finished everything you sent me to do. I've accomplished it. I often think about why could he say that there? Why didn't he wait till after the resurrection and the ascension? And then this is what I came up with. If you'll notice, listen to this. He prays in third person about a guy in a garden. This is very important what I'm going to share with you. Look at this. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to whom all you have given him, he may give eternal life. And this is eternal life. They may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus Jesus is not praying from himself. Jesus has moved into the realm of the Spirit, seated in the heavenly realms next to his Father, praying over a man named Jesus in a garden in the third person. He's risen risen above the level of praying from circumstances to praying over circumstances. I got the anointing on me right now. I feel goosey-goosey. Now, listen to this. Listen to this. I didn't read this in a book. I read it in this book. So, 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 so listen, listen to me. Very important what I'm trying to say. Right now in Hebrews 7.25, it says he, he lives for this reason. He's interceding. He became the intercessor for all of us in this moment. He was able to rise above his circumstance and seated at the right hand of the Father. Come on. He's praying over a man in a garden, getting ready to give his life for all the human race. Come on. In the third person. He's not praying from his position of, I need you. He's praying from his position of, God, that man down there needs you. Boy, I'm preaching good. And then he calls us to be like him. Shall I carry on? Verse 5. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me I have given to them, and they have received them, and truly understood that I came forth from you. They believe that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but... Of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. That's an interesting verse. He's glorified in the ones that are following him. Isn't that amazing? God is glorified in us. Ah, that's one of the mysteries. I don't understand it. Come on. Verse 11, I'm no longer in the world. Now check that out. Remember I told you he prayed from a heavenly realm. Listen to me. He prayed from a heavenly realm. He prayed from the Spirit over a man in a garden. And this backs it up. I'm no longer in the world. He's already now living by the Spirit. I'm no longer in the world. And yet they themselves are in the world. So they don't get it yet. They're not living by the Spirit yet. Are you with me? Yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one 
even as we are one. Aren't you glad he prayed that? While I was with them, now he's talking like he's not with them. Is it possible to live by the Spirit? Is it possible to live in the Spirit? Come on, is it possible to live above circumstances? I'm no longer in the world. Listen, while I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them perished but Judas, the son of perdition, that was a scripture would be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy full, made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world. Uh-oh. Even as I am not of the world. He's starting to speak prophetically now. Now, this, he's speaking about people that are all going to betray him. Aren't you glad God sees our destiny? Aren't you glad God sees us as his dream come true instead of our faults and failures on the way to that? Aren't you glad that God can see past our shortcomings? Aren't you glad that in the Old Testament, Abraham looks like a conniver and a liar and a double-toothed guy, and in Acts 11, he looks like the perfect guy of faith? Aren't you glad that God looks through the lens of grace when he sees all of us? It gives me hope. (laughs) Come on, you guys. I have given them your word. Now listen. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who also believe in me, who will also believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, even as God and the Son are one, he's praying for us to be that same one. So that they also may be in us, so the world may believe that you sent me. Hmm. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. Glory is not given to us for individuality. Glory is given to us so we can become the body of Christ where there's no division. I in them, you and me, that they may be perfected in unity. So the world may know that you have sent me and loved me even as you have loved me. Maybe the world can't come to faith like God wants everybody to come to faith and none to perish until the world starts seeing us as we actually love each other. And we're actually one. Come on. Maybe, maybe he's just waiting on that. Maybe God has prayed it, but he's waiting on us to live it. Amen? Let's become one, church. Come on. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory, which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, although the world has not known you, 
Yet I have known you, and these have known you, have sent me. And I have made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love which you love me may be in them, and I in them. Okay, Holy Spirit, help us. Help this word to become our reality. Help this prayer to become our heart's desire to live this prayer. I give you the results of these three weeks. I give you the result of this morning. You'll get all the glory and all the credit. And in eternity, we'll look back on this day and we'll thank you that John, inspired by your spirit, wrote this prayer down for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. What, what I find amazing is that in this prayer, God is identifying these 11 disciples as like the cream of the crop. They believe that he's from the Father. The world hates him because they believe the word. They've accepted the word. They've kept the word. They haven't been lost. I mean, if, if I had a church of people that were described like that, I could take a city. Come on, if you keep the word, no matter how bad it gets, if you don't, if you don't give up on the word, if, if you're so much like the word that the world actually hates you, that means something's going on in your life. If you're not causing any, if you're not causing any hate, then you're not anointed for one thing. I'm, I just want to give you a little heads up. If you don't have any haters, you're not that gifted. <laughs> now, if you're gifted, you have a lot of haters. But these, the world hates these people. And I have a feeling it's because they went around doing what Jesus gave them authority to do. They weren't hated because they could talk good. They were hated because they demonstrated what Jesus told them to demonstrate good. Are you with me? The world has hated them. They've kept the word. They're not of the world. They've come out of the world. Come on. And in the middle of all that, he throws this prayer in in verse 17. So I want you to sanctify him in the truth. Sometimes I think, well, Jesus, wait a minute. These people aren't of the world. Because in the Old Testament context, the word sanctify is to separate, which means to separate from the world, to be brought out from the world, to come out from among them and be separate, right? Second Corinthians quotes that Isaiah passage, which says, touch no unclean thing, right? Come out from among them and be separate. So in the Old Testament context, the word sanctify is to be separated. Well, he already said they're separated. Come on. They're not of the world. Even as I'm not of the world. They followed me. They believe I'm from you. That's eternal life. To know him, right? To know him is eternal life. They believe that I'm from you, Dad, and you're my father. And they're keeping the world. And the world hates him. Oh, but by the way, what they really need, sanctify him. Now, remember, he's getting ready to be arrested. Remember, this is the last few hours of his life. He's praying the most important thing that's on his heart. I'm preaching really good yet. You just haven't caught up with me. You see, this is a different prayer than he prays some hours later from the cross in Luke 23. Remember the prayer he prayed in Luke 23? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He's talking about people here that know what they're doing. They're following him. They're believing in him. They're keeping his word. They must be believers. What do believers need? When Jesus is waiting till the very end to pray what's the most important thing right before he goes into the next realm. Come on. What do believers need? I think he prayed it. Sanctify him. 
in the truth. Your word is truth. So I look up that word sanctify, hagiadzo. It, it, it means this is, it doesn't mean to separate. It means to make pure. It means to make holy. It means to actually change the nature or the quality, the essence. What Jesus is saying, these are my boys. They're not of the world. They're following me. The world hates them. They're, they're ready to go all the way with me. But what they really need is, Father, I need you to sanctify them. He's like, make them holy. Make them pure. Like, like who would drink milk that's 90% milk and 10% mud? Who would drink water that's 99% pure and 1% arsenic? How about 99.9% pure water and 0.111% arsenic? No, I don't want it. Why? Because it's not pure. Jesus is praying a prayer that will be 100% made holy, 100% made pure, 100% made clean. Why, Why would he pray that? Why would he pray that over the people he just described? And I have an opinion. Because he thought they needed it. (laughs) I don't think he just like, I wonder why I should pray God right before I'm arrested. I think he knew what they needed. How would he know what they needed? Oh, he just spent three and a half years with them. He knew what they were like. He knew. He knew on occasions they'd be walking with him and having these little discussions. And he knew what they were saying because he had the gift of discernment. Come on, he knew what they were talking about. But he waited to confront them personally. He said, what, what were you guys discussing on the road? And, well, who would be the greatest? He says, unless you come to me like one of these little child, you're not, you're not even be a part of my kingdom. He, 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 you see, the reason why he prayed, Father, they really need to be sanctified is because they're always jockeying for position. When do I get the bigger church? When do I get the bigger platform? When do I get the bigger influence? When do I get... They're always... Ju- it was pride. Yeah. That's right. I guess following Jesus doesn't solve the pride issue. Right. Maybe we need a deeper work of sanctification. Amen. Maybe that's why he had to pray that prayer. I'm preaching the truth. Yeah, I stole the whole message out of the Bible. On another occasion, the sons of thunder went into a town trying to get a meal prepared for Jesus and his traveling band, and they wouldn't give him what they wanted. And so James and John said, hey, Jesus, do you want us to call down fire? It'd be like going to Booger King, hey, Jesus, they're out of whoppers. Should we call down fire on the Booger King? I can hear Jesus right now in the heavenly realms, praying over a bunch of guys that his teaching hasn't made holy yet. Three and a half years of hearing his teaching hasn't made them holy. They need an empowering work of the Holy Spirit to change their attitudes. Come on, why in the world would you want to call down fire? Because you don't get a meal. Father, would you please sanctify him? I'm at my wit's end. Nothing I say has an effect on them. It's not getting to the root cause. 
Come on. On another occasion, <laughs> I got a lot of occasions. One of the mothers came to Jesus and said, hey, you know my boys? Yeah, I know them. I called them, honey. Do you think when you come into your kingdom, they can sit on your right and your left? Talk about generational pride. No one of the kids were so full of pride. Mom was full of pride. Like, I'm trying to get a position for my kids in your kingdom, Jesus. And Jesus says, are they willing? Are you willing to eat, to drink the cup that I... And they said, oh, yeah, we're willing. They had no clue what he was talking about. Now, they were going to drink it, but they didn't know what it was. But he says, to sit on my right and my left, it's for, not for me to decide. It's for my Father in heaven. Now, I'm, I'm just telling you, how much does Jesus have to put up with in the body of Christ? The people that are always to be the ones, they're trying to be the ones that look the most important. The only cure is sanctify them. Would you sanctify them? They need to be made pure. Because if they're made pure, they won't have their own agenda. And they won't get offended. Come on. Listen, when the other ten disciples heard about that deal with mom, they became indignant. They became jealous. They became angry with the other ten How many people in the church, when they hear about somebody else being promoted, instead of celebrating, they get mad? You you see, I'm telling you, Bible study won't fix this. (laughs) I preach it so good. I, I just think about, I think about the time that this guy with an epileptic, demon-possessed boy brought him to the church, you know, the first church of Jesus. Jesus is the pastor. I mean, he's the bishop. He's the DS. He's the general. I mean, he's it. It's the, that's, that's the first church of the Nazarene. It wasn't Phineas Brzee in L.A. It was Jesus in Galilee. Come on. Because he is the original Nazarene. Am I right? <laughs> And so they brought this, this sick boy, and the disciples, the disciples could not do what they had been given authority to do. Father, can you please sanctify my boys? They're trying to operate from their head. They're trying to operate from their gift. They're trying to operate from talent. They're trying to operate from a method. God, let them be sanctified so they're not doing the operating. I'm the one doing the operating through them. I need you to sanctify my boys. I need you to make them pure. I need you to make them holy. One time... Peter got out of the boat and was walking on the water. Think about that. Supernatural walk of faith. He's walking on the word. And he gets distracted for a moment and looks at what he's in the midst of. And all of a sudden he falls because he loses his faith. And Jesus gets and immediately responds to help. And he picks him up. And his first response is, why do you have such little faith? I think that's spurred on this prayer. Would you please sanctify my boys? So they're not like this in their faith? Would you please sanctify them so they're established and grounded in my reality instead of their reality? I think he prayed this prayer because it's the only thing that will help sustain the church becoming like Jesus. Meetings and revivals and conferences and seminars and leadership training will do nothing without the sanctifying work of the Spirit. 
changing the hearts and minds into pure, Holy Spirit-filled vessels that are no longer working and operating under their own demise and abilities and intuitions and desires, but they're operating under the influence of God. I could go on. I think I want to cut it short. I have an eight-hour drive ahead of me. Here's what I want to share with you. We know that it was the most important thing on Jesus' heart to pray that. That's why he prayed it. He also, right before he prayed that, he said, Father, I don't pray that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil. Now, your Bible will say evil one. Because a lot of times we don't understand what he's talking about. We think he's talking about the devil. He's not talking about the devil. This word evil is pronounced paneros. It's where we would get pornography. What he's saying is, God, until they're sanctified, I need you to protect them from their selves. Their own carnal, evil, fallen, Adamic nature. Because until I sanctify them, they're their worst enemy. I'm preaching really good. You need to protect them from themselves until my blood is available to sanctify them. And then he goes in to say it, as the Father sent me, so I send them. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself so they may truly be sanctified. And, and some people ask me, well, why did he have to sanctify himself? Well, what he was doing was he was sanctifying himself to become the sacrifice. In Hebrews 5, it says that though he was a son, he was made perfect by what he suffered. Come on, he used to cry out with loud cries and tears to the one who heard him because of his piety or because of his personal holiness, right? But because of his suffering, he was made perfect and he became the source or the solution or the sacrifice that if you believe in him, you can have eternal life. But he had to suffer and be sanctified into that sacrifice. Are you with me? Sanctify him in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me in the world, so I send them in the world. For their sake, I sanctify myself so that they true, too may be truly sanctified. So he gets arrested. He gets scourged. He gets mocked. He gets hung. He dies. He's put in a tomb. He comes back from the dead. Come on. He comes back from the dead three days later. Aren't you glad he did? And immediately he finds where they're hiding because they still haven't been sanctified. There's a lot of closet Christians hiding because until you're sanctified, you don't want to be exposed for who you are, so you try to do it in secret. He shows up to a room, they're hiding. It says they're praying, but really they were there because of the fear of the Jews, so it wasn't a prayer meeting, it was a fear meeting. And most of the time, 99% of our prayers are motivated by what we're afraid of instead of what God wants to do through our prayers. And that's why we need to be sanctified because if we really got sanctified, we wouldn't be praying what we need him to do. We'd be praying what he can't wait to do. Amen. It's a big deal I'm preaching about. So he shows up and he's not condemning them because he's mercy. And he says, the first thing he says to the guys who all betrayed him, by the way, that's another reason why he sanctified them. He wanted, to, he wanted them to be sanctified because he would like to have somebody that wouldn't have to be betrayed. 
I mean, he, he went through this alone. They all scattered like rats on a sinking ship the moment he was arrested. Come on, you guys. Now, Peter tried to follow at a distance. You can't follow at a distance. That's why you need to be sanctified. Until you're sanctified, you want to be right with him. You want to be sanctified so you're right with him. Come on, you guys. It's not enough to be sanctified from the world, Old Testament. You have to be sanctified to him, New Testament. He anoints you to be with him. Come on. So, so he's there. He ministers to him for 40 days, and he brings him out. Listen, he brings him out outside of town a little bit. I've been there. And he preaches this last message to him, and he goes, Now, you guys cannot do what I prayed before I got arrested until you have the experience. You can't live a sanctified life. You can't live the empowered life. You can't live like me until you've experienced what I prayed. Therefore, as soon as I leave, I want you to go to Jerusalem and wait for it. I want you to wait for that power. I want you to wait for that glory. I want you to go so I can answer the prayer. <laughs> and then he goes, Now think about that. Can you imagine looking at a, a preacher preaching a sermon and he starts, and you're going, and then the angels come down and say, don't just stand there, do what he said, right? I mean, that basically, that's a paraphrase. Like, that was him. He said it, go, wait. And so they go wait in a room, right? And it says that he appeared to over 520 people, which means they would have seen him go up in the clouds. And so they went and waited, and 10 days later, there's only 120 left. I don't know how 400 people couldn't wait after seeing the preacher that was once dead, alive, and then defied gravity. I mean, what was more important than waiting until you get what he's praying for you to get? I preach it so good. So, so he's, he floats up into heaven, and then 10 days later, his prayer's answered. His prayer was answered. He came down in fire, tongues of fire separated and set on all their heads. Come on. There was, there was like a storm, tornadic wind sound, and all of them began to speak the word of God in other languages as the Spirit gave them this ability. And now they're not in pecking order. Now they're like, when they get beat, oh, praise God, we had the privilege of suffering for his name. Now they're like, no, no, don't hang me upright. I want to be crucified upside down because I'm not worthy to die in the same fashion that he died. Come on, you guys. What changed? Why did they go from I want to be the best to I'll just be a doorkeeper? What changed? In a moment of time, in a room, their hearts, their motives, their minds, their, mo- their desires were made pure, holy, uncontaminated, undefiled. You say, well, how long did it take? Well, ten days, I guess. I don't know how long the actual purification, sanctification took. It took them ten days to get there. I don't think it took any time. I think God has power to change you instantly. I mean, if you're, if you're, if you're born as a, as a little embryo before you become a fetus, before you become a little baby, how long does it take for that to happen? Just, I mean, that's in the natural. To me, if God can do that in the natural, it's no big deal for him to do it in your spirit, man. I, I mean, I, I just believe that God has power 
to sanctify you. And I know it happened then because 15 years later when they were having the first general assembly with James you know, presiding over, Peter stood up and testified. What happened? He stood up and testified in Acts 15, 9. Come on. And he said, I know what happened. I mean, he didn't show any distinction between Jews or Gentiles. He's not preferential. He's not prejudiced, you guys. He purified our hearts by faith. He, he sanctified our hearts. He changed our motives. He, he changed our desires. We, we, we just no longer cared who got the credit. In fact, when they would try to call us God, no, 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 it's, it's in the name of the one you crucified. It's in his name. We couldn't take any glory anymore. And it happened in a moment. 53 days after Jesus prayed it. So his prayers don't get answered immediately sometimes. It happened in those 11, 53 days later. Their hearts were purified. They were sanctified. Come on, you guys. You say, well, I don't know. I don't know about that. Well, it says in Colossians 1, 21, that he had to die so he could make us holy. It says in Ephesians 5, 25 and following, he had to die so he could sanctify his church. It says in Hebrews 13, 12, he had to go outside the city gate and hang on a tree and suffer. Come on, why did he have to do that? To sanctify his people. But it wouldn't have worked unless he first would have prayed it because nothing happens outside the realm of prayer. And that's why Satan taunts us and tries to talk us into thinking prayer doesn't matter. And if prayer didn't matter, Jesus wouldn't have had to pray it before he actually did it. I'm preaching really good. So I know what happened to the disciples' lives, but look at verse 20, you guys. Look at verse 20. I do not ask on behalf of these alone. So he's not just praying here now for the eleven. But for those also who believe in me through the New Testament. Am I right? He's saying, for for those also who believe in me. Where'd my phone go? Oh, sorry. Scared me for a minute. Got to have my phone with my 20,000 contacts. My phone gets hot in my hand because there's so many numbers. And there's like millions of people in that Facebook trying to get my attention. I've got I to shut the phone off, right? Too many people in my phone. So, 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 so check this out. I know the prayer was answered in the disciples' lives because it's written in the text of the Scripture to tell us when it happened. So that means there's a moment you can know it happens. Or Peter couldn't have testified, I know what happened. That's when our hearts were purified by faith, right? But the question is, do we know in this room if it's happened for us? Because Jesus prayed for us. Come on, man. I prayed for you last night for healing. But Jesus prayed 2,000 years ago for you to be sanctified, right? Because it says, I don't pray. I'm not just praying for the 11. Come on, pastor. You know that, right? He's prayed 2,000 years ago. He prayed for you just like he prayed for me. That we would be sanctified, right? Right. So he could send us out just like the Father sent Jesus out. And the only way we can do that is if we're sanctified, right? And so I, I, I know that Jesus has influence with God. And I know probably Father God can't wait to answer Jesus' prayers. 
So we know God wants to answer his prayers. We know Jesus prays prayers of faith. Without faith, he can't please God. So he was probably the faithful one that's always faithful. Come on. And so the prayer's right. God wants to answer the prayers. Jesus prays the heart of the Father. So the question that remains is, has that prayer been answered in us this morning? That's the only conclusion I can come to. Have we been the recipient of the prayer of Jesus? Let me give you some examples. My father-in-law, Dr. Don Owens, he's 93 years old. He was a general superintendent in the Church of the Nazarene. He was a pioneer missionary in Korea. He started Asia-Pacific Nazarene Theological Seminary. He started Korea Nazarene University, has 8,000 students. Come on. My father-in-law has his name on bus stations in Seoul, Korea. He's like a hero over there. Are you with me? Come on. But I asked him one time, I said, hey, Dr. Owens, I said, when did you get sanctified? Because I want to know. I don't want to just know, well, I've just been in the church my whole life. Come on. Jesus didn't pray, Lord, just keep them in the church their whole life. He prayed a specific prayer. Father, make them clean and holy and pure. So he said to me, well, I was home from Bethany Penile Nazarene College in Oklahoma City, and I was on Christmas break, and the only way he could go to school, he was on the GI Bill, because he was in the Army, and his mom had tried to raise all the kids. She was like four foot 11, and he had two sets of twins die at birth. He, when he was born, he was so small he could fit in a shoebox, my father-in-law. His dad left for some woman, And so they had to leave and go to California like that Grapes of Wrath movie because there was nothing in the middle because of the dust bowl. So he had to go out and work in the orchards and he worked and he remembers three or four years all they got for Christmas was an orange. That's my father-in-law's beginnings, right? But I said, I said, Don, when did you get sanctified? He says, well, I was home on Christmas break and every night I was reading these E.M. Bounds books and Uncle Buddy Robinson books and I was reading these books and I was so hungry for this work because I knew there were things in me that weren't like God and I was so tired of fighting internally. I wanted to be free from it, right? He said, so he said, I would go when everybody else is in bed, my mom's in bed, my siblings are, and I could go and sit on the, on the wood floor right in front of the little pot belly stove and lay on my face and just weep before God. I did it night after night after night, the whole Christmas break, and I couldn't get breakthrough. And one night, my little mama came in because she heard me crying. He's telling me this story. One night, my little mama came in, and she put her hand on my shoulder, and she said, Donnie, Why are you trying so hard? What do you mean, Mama? He wants to give you the Holy Spirit more than you want it. Why don't you just let him? And he said all the pressure left. And he just opened up his heart. And he said it was like all of heaven flooded him. And he's never recovered. Now now listen to this. I know Jesus' prayer was answered in my father-in-law's life because he knows when it happened. That's amazing to me. Doesn't that that thrill you guys? I mean, if you knew his beginnings and what he did, he may have been the most influential Nazarene in the history of our denomination, you guys. There's a quarter of a million Nazarenes because of him. When did it happen? In front of a potbelly stove when a little mama who had nothing but living by faith going for her, she comes in and puts her hands on his shoulders and says, quit trying so hard. Just let him do what he prayed to do. 
<laughs> it's awesome. And he's never been the same. If you talk to him today, he's like talking to Jesus. He's like, he's just like an apostle of love. Then I asked my daddy. My daddy's 87. He grew up on a farm, went to Olivet, but he was home plowing. He was a young man going out on the weekend singing. And he was under such a burden because he knew there was more. Aren't you glad God puts hunger in us that there's more? We would not know there's more unless he let us know. Come on, it's only by grace that we're saved. And it's only by grace that we're sanctified. And it's only by grace that we're being sanctified. Come on, you guys. It's all about Jesus. So my daddy says he, shut, he was driving an old B tractor. I don't even know what that is, but he said it was a B tractor. So he shut it off, and he, he didn't have a shirt on. It was real hot, no air-conditioned cabs. This is out in the summer. He got down in the plowed furrow. Where, you know, they plowed the dirt, and they had those rows where it was plowed up. And he laid on the ground with his face in the furrow, weeping, saying, God, I can't go on unless you sanctify me. He was weeping. And he says, just like that, he felt like this cool breeze of heaven flow through his soul. And he knew it was done. And my daddy later became an evangelist that at one time, he had 12 years of meetings booked ahead of time. He went, to, he went all over the globe singing in crusades. Happened with his face in between a, a plowed furrow. So I know Jesus' prayer was answered in my daddy because he knows when it happened. I'm preaching really good. My brother Doug's older than me about seven and a half years, and I remember when it happened to him. I was in the service. It was at college... Thanks for listening to this week's message. The goal of River City Hope Church is to provide as many resources as we can for free. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to HopeForRiverCity.com. Again, that's Hope, the number four, RiverCity.com.